This special episode is brought to you by Mighty Networks. The engagement drop has landed. It's a huge update to Mighty Network's already powerful community and learning management platform. Now you can go live right in your Mighty Network, host group chats, and upload video directly to your network. They've also added multi-currency support to make serving a global audience easier. Content, courses, or community? You don't have to choose. Learn more about the powerful features Mighty Networks offers small business owners like you at MightyNetworks.com. What works and what doesn't? Understanding what works. What works for me? Understanding your own business to know what works. What works for you? This is What Works. I always hesitate to talk about practicing an abundance mindset because it so quickly veers into positive vibes only, charge what you're worth, girl wash your face territory. And to my mind, that territory is actually steeped in scarcity and its cousin precarity. I'm Tara McMullen and this is What Works, the show that explores entrepreneurship for humans. Abundance isn't about ignoring unpleasant feelings or people who ask hard questions. When we do that, we're essentially signaling that our positive vibes are so precarious that something challenging or unpleasant could cause us to lose our high. Practicing abundance, instead, invites us to wrestle with hard things without fear of losing our way. Abundance isn't about charging what you're worth. Because abundance knows that markets are fickle and that human experience can't be quantified in hourly rates or flat fees. And while I readily acknowledge that Charge What You're Worth has helped lots of people ask for more, it also reinforces scarcity thinking in the form of getting what's yours or they're out to get me. Abundance isn't about equating endless hard work with deserving more abundant rewards. It's certainly not about sucking it up. This kind of thinking reinforces that there's a limited supply of resources out there. You better get up before dawn to grab your bit. Truthfully, I'm not sure I can define abundance succinctly, but what it means to me is a present knowing that I am enough, that I have enough, and that there is enough time, attention, and support to live a meaningful life and do meaningful work. I can't say that this is my mindset at all times. Far from it. But in the times when I'm feeling most hopeless or desperate, it's the mindset that I eventually bring myself back to. It's the truth that's guided difficult decisions and unlocked completely unexpected paths forward. An abundance mindset, when I'm truly in it, shifts my perception and presents new possibilities. Maybe one way to think about it is that an abundance mindset isn't so much an answer to the problems of scarcity, urgency, and precarity, but a series of questions that remind you there is always a way forward. Throughout this month, my goal has been to speak some of those questions out loud. Hopefully you've experienced at least a small shift in perception as a result. Today, we'll round out this series with three more stories about interesting questions and new ways forward. You'll hear from sales coach Allison Davis, business strategist Anne-Marie Rose, and Athena Village founder Kelly Pratt. Listen for the shift in perception that allowed them to see a new possibility for their work and businesses. 
first, let's hear from Allison Davis, a sales coach and the creator of the Sales Breakthrough Mastermind. She helps B2B small businesses turn the random acts of sales that got them started into systems that generate consistent revenue. So much of what I was taught about selling had to do with urgency and scarcity. You know, working in big print media, there was always a deadline or your ad wouldn't make it to print. And there was always a bunch of scarcity. You know, only one advertiser could have that coveted back cover position or only one company could be the premier sponsor. And as salespeople, we were encouraged to try to sell more by fueling the flames of that urgency and scarcity. And when I left corporate sales, but before I started my own business, I made a pit stop in the world of six and seven figure course launches online. And if I thought urgency and scarcity were prevalent in corporate sales, well, it was even worse here. You know, at, at least in print media, the deadlines and the availability were, were actually true. You know, there were printing press deadlines. There was only one back cover. But what I was seeing in the online world was manufactured urgency and scarcity, uh, perpetuated by things like open close cart, things only launching one time a year, disappearing bonuses, not being able to talk to anyone before making a financial investment. And to me, that was much worse. <laughs> and so when I set out to launch the Sales Breakthrough Mastermind, which is my high-touch group program uh, for business owners selling B2B, I challenged myself to create a better way, a better process for myself and for my clients. And by no means am I perfect. You know, I still um, actively notice uh, and then dismantle and reconfigure all of the harmful ways I was taught to sell and, and what's ingrained. But I can share with you one of the best, most abundant decisions I've made in my business um, was to not have an open close cart for the program. This type of high pressure tactic, not only would it put a bad taste in my uber professional, high touch, high impact service providers, but it would totally exhaust me because it would be so out of alignment with my values and what I believe. And so what I've learned through testing and trial is to instead create and nurture a community of my ideal clients year round. I show up, I provide generous value each and every month via a free sales roundtable, ongoing content. I try to make myself as available as possible. And with this approach, I've had no problem filling my program with amazing clients with no high pressure at all. I just take enrollments when people are ready. Now, that can certainly mean that sometimes I'm signing on clients super early for the next cohort or having to nurture leads longer in an extended sales cycle, all of which requires more care, effort, time, you know, something that some of the traditional sales trainers I've had over the years would probably scoff at, but I don't care. <laughs> because it's so worth it to be able to let go of that toxic manufactured urgency and scarcity and to be able to teach my clients to do the same when they are selling to their B2B clients in these complex sales processes that they can let that kind of stuff go too. And to be honest with you, I don't have to manufacture any of that. There is urgency that organically exists in small business owners who are ambitious and who are seeking to grow. There is already scarcity. I only run this program two times a year. That's just the truth. I simply don't choose to leverage that 
as a way to pressure people into making a decision or making a decision faster than they are ready to make it. And that all results in one of the most abundant things that I get to enjoy in my business, which is when I show up for a sales call with a, a prospective participant, I get to lean in to what Colleen Stanley says. She's a sales thought leader uh, who talks about emotional intelligence and sales. And she says, in a sales conversation, there's only one goal, and that's to seek the truth and do the right thing. And in the absence of that scarcity, that pressure, that urgency, I get to just focus on that, and that feels truly abundant. Allison's abundant question was, could I sell this program differently and still make it work? The answer was a resounding yes. It's so easy to allow best practices to remain unexamined. Practicing abundance encourages us to get curious. Is that really true? What else could be true? What if I do things differently? For instance, I might objectively say that like nine times out of 10, you're going to close more sales if you send at least two last chance emails on the quote, close cart date for your offer. I feel pretty confident about that. And you might hear that and ask, well, is that spammy? Will people get mad at me for sending all those emails? But practicing abundance might ask, do I want to make those sales? You could answer, yes, I wanna make sure everyone who wants to buy remembers to buy. Awesome, stick to the plan, send those emails. Or you could answer, no, I wanna work with people who proactively made the decision to buy. Also awesome, make a plan that makes sense for that way forward. It's a different way of perceiving what matters to you and the people you care about. Next, we'll hear from business strategist Anne-Marie Rose. Anne-Marie and her team help small business owners navigate tricky transitions like pivoting and scaling. I am so excited to be speaking about abundance and my experience leaning into abundance, even with a bit of reluctance, because this is abundance and my mindset around it has really done a 180 in the past two years through mindset work being part of communities like the What Works Network, as well as, you know, taking aligned action and really seeing that it's okay to trust that the universe is a really abundant place and there's so much more than enough to go around. And the experience I'd love to share is a recent, uh, really since the beginning of 2021, hiring roller coaster that we were navigating. And it began in about March when I realized we really needed the integrator role in our company filled. I needed to step fully into visionary mode and we needed that right hand integrator role filled. And my first decision out of scarcity was to actually minimize that role, not, not quite go full on integrator, partially because I didn't fully believe that the person who would be a right fit integrator for our business existed. And I even more so didn't fully trust that if that person did exist, that we would be able to fairly compensate them for what they might, uh, you know, what they should receive for filling that role. So I did minimize the position to begin with and set out to hire and leaned into a very first hiring decision Primarily, now through the the interview experience, I felt okay enough. Um, she had great enough answers, um, and I felt it was an okay enough energetic match. I wasn't super lit up about this potential candidate to fill this role. However, I knew we had a lot of 
work coming up related to a very specific promotion project that I just knew I wasn't going to have the time to fully execute on, on my own or with our existing team. So I knew I, I was really, really driven to get this spot filled. So I went ahead and said, okay, let's do it. And pretty quickly, it became clear that this was not a fit, not going to be a good for anyone if we move forward with it. However, I certainly went through that questioning phase and and sat with it for a hot minute when she basically ghosted us after we extended the offer. There was some minimal communication, but for a company that one of our core values is thorough communication, it was certainly not in alignment. So I really sat with that, listened to my gut, and it became clear relatively quickly that if I were to just move forward and make this this hire somehow work for this role, the only reason I would be doing that is out of fear that I would have to take on, I would have no time to to accomplish the things that needed to get accomplished for the upcoming project. And with that, I also leaned into my woo-woo side and for any of my friends who enjoy tarot, I pulled the eight of cups. If you know anything about tarot, that was about as clear a sign as I could have received that this was not a fit and I should release it and move on. Uh, so I did. We parted ways before we even began. And I wish I could say the next hire turned out beautifully and were amazing and incredible abundance has ensued beyond that. However, when we resumed the hiring process, I was approached by someone who pitched herself as a potential COO, a, a contract COO. She and her team would handle everything associated with this role and, and, and then some. And what that did for me was really unlock a whole new lens of abundance to view the vision of our business through. And I really started to see what could be possible if we had this really high level, exceptional support and a team of multiple people handling the behind the scenes of our business. And that was really powerful. And the way I felt envisioning those things was incredible and abundant. And that is... (laughs) all that that next hire provided for us because once she and her team came on board, I would love to tell you, like I said, that they unlocked incredible abundance for us. They did not. They unlocked an incredible lens of abundance for me that I didn't even know existed. However, they did not deliver on a single thing that was in our initial contract. So we parted ways within three weeks. Now, my mantra at that point became the universe does not play sick jokes on me because I knew there I was going through this for a reason. And you know, I'm someone who's meant to operate at my best with support. So I knew we would eventually find that right fit person. I just didn't know when it would be. And I was all but forced to accept an abundance mindset as my only option. So from there, we we then did proceed to have our two highest sales months ever. And in the middle of those two highest sales months ever, I was referred an exceptional candidate for not only the role I'd put out there, but basically the most perfect fit for an integrator role that I ever could have dreamt up. And we began with a test project, paid test project, of course, and then went on to extend her the full integrator role. And she's been with our team for a little over two months now and is more exceptionally supportive than I could have ever dreamt possible. I almost caught myself just yesterday having a, is this too good to be true moment? And with that, I tapped into that abundance mindset and and reminding myself every single day of what an abundant place this universe is and how lucky we are all to be a part of it. Anne-Marie's abundant question was, what if the dream hire does exist? I love this question, and it's one I've posed to a number of people over the years. It's funny to me how quickly we can get into scarcity around hiring, not just about the money, but about 
Who is out there to hire? Like in all of the people looking for a new position, there isn't going to be a person who ticks all the boxes for you. Humans are wildly diverse and interesting. I have never not found a unicorn hire when I've asked for one. The trick, and why Anne-Marie's question is so important, is to ask. If we only ever attempt to hire good enough, we're going to get burned again and again. If we put together that dream job description, there's an excellent chance the candidate with a weird and wonderful mix of skills and personality will show up at your digital doorstep. Finally, let's hear from Kelly Pratt. She's the founder and co-creator of the Athena Village, an online women-led collective of artists, authors, coaches, healers, makers, teachers, and business owners. The part of this that is abundant to me is that none of us are daunted by the idea that there might be competitors in the collective. We are all encouraged by the idea that many of the people that I want to attract are the same people that my fellow collective members want to attract. And in fact, we are excited to know that we're doing something positive for our people by coming together in one space and giving them kind of um, the freedom to explore and quote window shop and quote um, within one space for things that will serve them. A couple of years ago, I burned out a little bit on uh, being a solopreneur and running an online community that I called at the time the So Do It Society, which was serving my people and running my in-person groups, the So Do It Salons for making shit happen. I just got tired, was doing it all myself. And during my hiatus, while I was consulting and doing some other things, it percolated into being in my mind that what I really wanted to do was to have a support system around me working with other uh, women entrepreneurs who had the same feeling, that they knew we were all in this together, so to speak. And I started remembering a great road trip that I took um, on my way to a conference in in Colorado where I came upon a fabulous little village uh, along a river. And I remember thinking, gosh, I wish I could stay here for more than one day because there were so many places to explore. There was a gallery. There was a bookshop. There was a coffee shop. There, I looked at the community ed uh, bulletin board and there were so many classes I wanted to take. And I thought, oh my goodness, I would love to stay here for days because there's so many things I want to do. And remembering that moment in that village along the river, I thought, why can't I create that online? And that's when the idea of Athena Village was born. And I know that we are encouraged to create our online spaces around one niche or niche, depending on where you're from. Um, and just that idea that I'm creating it with artists, authors, coaches, healers, makers, teachers, et cetera, et cetera, kind of goes against that idea. But I guess our niche is that the people that we are looking to attract are 
similar minded people that the folks, the women mostly, not excluding men, but mostly women that we're looking to attract are all very similar minded. What I'm building and what I have built here is a place where these collective members set up a pop-up shop basically in the village and we all work together and collaborate. And then someone who comes there because I've invited them will see what Chatrice has to offer or what Shantae has to offer, or what Joy has to offer, which they never would have seen had they just come to my So Do It Society. And then we are all helping one another to grow this blue ocean, as they say. And that, to me, feels so abundant. Kelly's abundant question was, what if the market is big enough? One of the biggest hangups for small business owners is fear of competition. It manifests in all sorts of ways. And for some, it means never even starting. For others, it means always operating in the shadow of quote unquote bigger players. And for still others, it leads to an endless compare and despair cycle. But when we ask, what if the market is big enough? Pretty cool opportunities start to open up. What if the market is big enough that we can collaborate on this project, big enough to share leads, to talk openly about what's working with other business owners, to stop trying to get a bigger slice of the pie? One of the joys of my work is that I often get exposed to businesses to which I have the reaction, wait, there's a market for that? And there is, dear listener, there is a market for that. There's a big, weird, idiosyncratic market out there that is wide and deep enough to support your business and my business and all the other businesses alongside ours. Doesn't mean you don't need to be strategic. Doesn't mean success is a given. But if the question is whether the market is big enough, the answer is yes. So what abundant question do you need to ask today? How can you shift your perception so that you can see a way forward that wouldn't have occurred to you before? If there is a particular challenge or decision that's on your mind, see if you can ask a question that's different from the question you have been answering. See if you can turn, can I handle this? Into, what do I want? Or, will my customer buy this? Into, who wants this? Or, am I ready to hire? into what can I create with more support? I'd love to hear about the abundant question you're inspired to ask. Shoot me a message on Instagram. I'm at Tara underscore McMullen. Next week, we're starting a special series on letting go and beginning again. And we'll kick things off with a conversation about grief with creative grief worker Charlene Lamb. Till then, if you're not already, hit subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast player so you never miss an episode of What Works. Big thanks to sales coach Allison Davis, business strategist Anne-Marie Rose, and Athena Village founder Kelly Pratt for their contributions today. Find links to them in the show notes. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. Our production assistant is Emily Kilduff. And this episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. And special thanks to Shannon Paris for wrangling our contributors.